do. Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Baptist Church. If you haven't already been welcomed, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. Did you guys enjoy last week in our family day? It was such a great day, and I see some faces that were here last week are back again this week, and we're just so grateful that you're here, and we're going to have a great day in God's Word. Today's sermon is among the texts that we're going to talk about is among some of the most complex that I've preached since I've been here. And so I saw uh, Lisa Abate, she's walking back right now, but I saw that she posted something online this week that said, my pastor's really excited that FIFA World Cup soccer's here because he likes seeing people struggle to make three points in 90 minutes. Shots fired. I think that's what's going on here. But if you want to be friends with her, she's hilarious online. But anyway, I, I had four points planned for this morning. If you looked at your, if you look at your bulletins, you got your handy-dandy bulletins, and if you're, it's your first time here, we have this little place where you can fill in blanks and keep notes. I think the more senses you engage as I teach, the more you'll remember. And we're kind of aiming for life change and believe change happens before life change. And so you'll see that I have four points this morning, but I don't have four points. I've got two. But don't think I'm going to be short. Am I scaring anybody? You guys are like, <laughs> that's funny, Pastor. No, it's going to be good. This particular passage uh, is our third in the series in Hebrews. We started a, a study in Hebrews, and Hebrews really is a study um, not just in this New Testament book, it really becomes a study as you walk through it, and you'll see this today. It becomes a study in the Old Testament as well, because the person who's writing, and we don't know who wrote the book of, of Hebrews, uh, other than the Holy Spirit, we know he wrote it. Okay, God wrote a book, and we know that. Um, but but he, he's writing to primarily a Jew, Jewish audience, and actually there's a couple of different kinds of Jews that he has in mind, and we'll go over that at some point. But as he, as he kind of gets into this particular uh, book, what we're going to find out is that the theme of our series, Jesus is Greater, really is the theme of the book of Hebrews. Jesus really is greater. You'll find the word better strewn out throughout all of this book because Jesus is greater. That's the point that we're going to make over and over again, and I hope that it gets into your heart and into your soul and that you live that out in your life. Today, this, this particular passage really does focus on Jesus' superiority to angels. Now, when I say the word angel, what kind of thing comes to mind in, in your heart and mind? When you think about angels, what do you think about? Anybody think about anything with wings? Okay. You have the angels, uh, some angels have wings uh, that are described as having wings, cherubim and seraphim, some do not. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, you, you think about, in our culture, you think about things like, uh, who remembers the series Touched by an Angel? You ever watched that? That went on for a long time. Uh, when I was a kid, there was a, there was a show called, there was a movie called Angels in the Outfield. Did you remember seeing that? There's all kinds of stories, and our culture has uh, thoughts about angels, and of course, we know uh, the Bible talks about that, um, talks about angels. The word angel means messenger, and we're going to find out today this is the point of the lesson, the point of the sermon today. Jesus is superior in every way. He's superior to angels as, in four ways. We're going to get to two of them this week, and then we'll hopefully get to two of them next week. I don't think I'll take more than two weeks to get to this. But of course, we think about angels a lot this time of year, don't we? We do. What are some songs with angels in them? Angels we have heard. Well, not yet. It's not even December. Come on, people. Hey, be honest, who has their tree up already? Who does not have their tree up already? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's get through Thanksgiving. Well, I, I guess we kind of did, right? Amen. We think a lot about angels this time of year, and you're going to see, we're going to talk about that a little bit today too. Jesus really is superior in every way, and he's superior in these four ways that we're going to talk about, two of them today, two of them next Sunday. Okay, here's the first way Jesus is superior to angels. We're going to get this right from the text. Jesus has a superior name. 
He has a superior name. He's the son. They are worshipers. Now, I know I've introduced this sermon talking about both Jesus and angels, but this is primarily a sermon on Jesus. We're going to learn a lot about him today. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, let's catch us up to where we've gotten so far. We've gotten through three verses in the first two sermons. Here's what it says. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay, so God spoke in times past as of this writing to unto the fathers. Who are the fathers? That was the Jewish patriarchs under the people in the Old Testament in various portions and in various ways. Diverse times, diverse manners. That's what it calls. Sundry times, diverse manners. That's what the scripture says. And it's talking about in many portions and in many ways, God spoke and his speaking was partial because it was uh, not a full revelation. It was a partial revelation. It's progressive revelation unto the fathers by the prophets. And he says, in these last days, God has spoke God hath spoken, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his, who is it? Son. You see that word son? Who's the son? Jesus is the son. Who is this Jesus? Verse 2, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Who owns everything? God does. Jesus does. He's the heir of it. By whom also he made the world. Hey, how how did this world get here? God created it, and Jesus was active in creation. Christmas was not the, the, what we study as Christmas, this incarnation of Jesus wasn't his beginning. It was him becoming flesh. He existed before the world began. He has always existed. He always will exist. He's eternal. He says in verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he hath by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ created the world and he redeemed the world. He by himself bought back our sin. There was a, there's folks last week that got saved. I was so excited about that. That called on the name of the Lord to save them and God could save them because Jesus paid the price for their sin. Jesus bore, him, bore their sins and the wrath for their sins on himself on the cross and shed his blood for the covering of their sins. And they're going to heaven today not because they're super good. They're going to heaven today because Jesus is good. Amen. That's why. So we've talked about this. God speaks. God has spoken. God spoke in times past. He has spoken through his son. And that's where we get when we get to verse 4. Okay, he says, let me just, let's run up to it again. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down in the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. That means the work of redemption's over. And as he's sitting there at the right hand of the majesty on high, verse 4, he's being made so much better than the angels. So much better than the angels as he, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, I want to be real honest with you. There are portions of Scripture that are milk, and there's portions of Scripture that are bread. This is a portion of Scripture that's meat, okay? So you're going to have to keep up with me a little bit and digest this as we go. Names seem to me to be more important to people in biblical times than they are now. I found a good way to connect with people is, I do this with teenagers sometimes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I'll ask them their name and they'll tell me. I'll say, well, do you know what your name means? It amazes me how many people don't know what their name means. Do you know what your name means? My My name, Benjamin, means son of the right hand or favorite son. Don't you think I tell my brother that quite often? His name is Shadrach. We call him Shad. That's a name that was given to the Hebrew children. It was a Babylonian name and to their pagan god, tribute to their pagan god. So my name means favorite son. 
his name is a tribute to a pagan god. Got that, Shad? All right. Okay. Names, his other name is Joshua, Joshua Shadrach, Joshua Yeshua, Jesus, the name above all names. He still doesn't know. Hasn't figured that out. Okay, here we go. Names in biblical times meant something. To be given a name was done on purpose. This is not uncommon, though, even in our day. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ was given a more excellent name than they. Here we're introduced to the point of the rest of the chapter, okay? Jesus Christ is being revealed as so much better than the angels. Now, I want you to get something that will confuse you if you're not careful. In verse 4, it says, being made so much better. The word here translated made is genomai, which is a change in state, not a change in existence from, um, from not existing to existing. Some people will come to this verse and say, in the English, in the King James Bible, and say, oh, look, being made. See, Jesus was created. Jesus was not created. This is talking about his incarnation. He went from not having a body to having a body. Are you with me? Okay. And so this is not talking about being created. The author wants us to know that the revelation about Christ is clear about his superior, superiority to the angels. How do we know he's superior? Well, the author uses a word here. He says, by inheritance, this word inheritance, and inheritance comes by being a relative, a son or daughter or an heir. What does this inheritance do or prove? That Christ obtained a more excellent name than they. The heir, more often than not, has, this, has the same name as the one given the inheritance. So remember what's being proven, that Christ has a more superior name because he's obtained this better name. What is that better name? The better name is son. It's son. The son is better than the servant. Remember, what's the point? I've got two points today. You've got to remember this point because I'm about to go into a bunch of stuff. Here's the point. Jesus has a superior name. He's better than the angels. He's better than everything, but he's better than the angels because he's the son. They're worshipers. He has a better name. Okay? Now let me talk a little bit about angels. In the created order, mankind is certainly greater than the plants and the animals. Okay? So some people are really confused about that. Okay? God created man in his own image. He did not create dogs in his own image. He did not create animals in his own image. And he created man in his own image. And then he gave us a stewardship over the earth. We, have, we are to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it. We have a stewardship of the earth. We shouldn't purposely try to destroy the earth. We know that. But we do know that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, Right? Angels are also created be beings, and as wonderfully made as we are, they are created being, there are created beings that are higher than man. Let me, what do you mean, higher than man? Well, Psalm 8 says this. Check this out. What is man, the psalmist says, that thou art mindful of man, of him, and the son of man that thou visits him? For thou hast made him a little, what does it say? lower than the angels, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him have dominions over the work of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. So we know that man in the created order is a little lower than the angels. A few facts you need to know about angels. Number, the first thing, this isn't in your notes, but think through this with me. Angels are created beings. Angels are created According to Scripture, there are a lot of them. Daniel 7.10 says, A fiery steam issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Talking about angels. The judgment was set and the books were opened. In Revelation chapter 5, it says this, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. How many are there? There's a lot. There's a lot. You may be thinking, Pastor Ben, you believe that there's such a thing as angels? Absolutely. Absolutely. What were they saying? They're saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain 
to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. In God's order of creation, angels are higher than mankind. After the fall of Satan, they are no longer subject to sin and its effects. I'm going through a lot here, but hang with me. They do not have flesh and blood, though they do have bodies. We're told to be careful because we could entertain them unawares, it says later in Hebrews. What was their purpose? They give glory, worship, and service to God. Angels can appear in, in different forms. Matthew 28, 3 to 4, describe an angel at Christ's resurrection this way. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was, light, was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Angels must be so impressive as to cause fear at their appearance. Almost every time one appears in Scripture, their first words to the person is what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Some say, well, that's because they startle people. Maybe. I think that would startle me if one just appeared to me. But I also think that they're, in their many forms, they can be rather impressive. Angels are intelligent. They have emotions. The Bible describes angels rejoicing over a sinner who repents, for instance. Angels do not marry. They're not given in marriage, the Bible says. Mark chapter 12, verse 25. For when they shall rise from the dead, neither, talking about human beings, for when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. So we know that angels don't procreate. Angels must not die, for we're not, told any, we're not told anywhere in the Scripture. I don't know this for sure, but we're not told of any angel dying. So it may be that they're made all at once. They were made all at once in one number to which there are none being added and none being taken away. Just an interesting thought. A angels are organized and divided into ranks, the Scripture tells us. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by Him, by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven, you see that? And that are in earth, visible and invisible. Did God create some things that are not visible to us? Yes, he did. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, do you see the different ranking and order? All things were created by him and for him. Ephesians 1.20, we just went through this. Talking about Christ, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all what? Principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Speaking of fallen angels, in 6.12 it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. The word angel means messenger, messenger. They minister to God. They serve God. They do whatever God wants them to do. They are spectators at times to the works of God, and other times they're participant in those works. Sometimes they're doing uh, God's judgment. Sometimes you see in the Bible, he's helped, they're part of helping God to judge. Sometimes they're a part of God's a plan of redemption, not that they're executing redemption, but that they're, that they're uh, helping in what he's wanting to do that's positive. So that's a biblical, that, I just went through that very quickly, and I'm sure I'm going to get lots of questions today about angels. Let's talk about how the Jews themselves viewed angels, because the book of Hebrews, has anybody, can, can you tell by the name of the book who it's to? It's the Jewish people. So how did they think about angels? Why, if, if the author is making the case that Jesus is superior and he's going to talk about Moses and he's going to talk about uh, how he's superior to all kinds of other people, why does he start out with angels? Well, the typical Jewish view of angels would have been informed by both scriptures and traditional teaching of Jewish teachers in that day. They believed that angels, like the Bible says, were created higher in the order than man. They were the closest thing to God without being God themselves. Some believe that God did not do anything without consulting angels. 
There are some Jewish people that believe that, the, that angels are like a senate. There's like an angelic senate and that God did not do anything. For instance, there are some, because they did not understand the Trinity, they don't recognize the second person of the Trinity at times. <clears throat> they, they, they saw in, in Genesis where the Bible says, let us make man in our image, and the image of God created he, him, there, male and female. There are some that believe he's not talking about the Trinity, he's talking about angels. The us is, let's talk, he's talking to the angels. That was part of what they thought. Of course, we understand that God is one, but there are three persons in the Trinity. The angels didn't create the world, God did. They believe the angels were, they, they also believe that angels were used to deliver the first covenant to them. This set them talking about angels, in high esteem with the Jewish audience. And we see some New Testament kind of approach to this, okay? In Acts chapter 7, you have the Stephen, who was a martyr, who is being martyred. This is what he said, okay? He's talking to the Pharisees that killed Jesus. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Who's the just one? Jesus, right? Of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers, whom have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. So the Holy Spirit allowed what Stephen said here about how they got the law, that it was ministered to them at least in some way by angels. How? I don't know, but the Holy Spirit left that in there. Okay? Did they have a high view of angels? Did they? They did. Galatians 3.19, Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of of a mediator. This is the Apostle Paul's comment on angels. Many people, though, they, they, they're right to have a high view of angels, but some of them had too high a view of angels. Some wrongly worshipped angels. Paul, Paul says something about this in Colossians chapter number 2. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility of worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You know, Satan's an angel. And you know what his number one desire is? He wants to be worshipped. He wants to be worshipped. And so there are some that, that would do that. Since the author of Hebrews has a Jewish audience in mind, and since his desire is to show Jesus' superiority in every way, he decided by the Holy Spirit to start with Christ's superiority to angels. So do you understand a little bit of how they thought? Here's where we get into. Back to verse number four. Here's what he says. Being made so much better than the angels, as he by his inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Let's talk a little bit about that different, more excellent name. Jesus Christ has a different and more excellent name than the angels and thereby shows that he has a different position relative to the Father. To what name is the author referring he's referring to him being the son now this was a big deal and the jewish reader would have understood this look at verse five now you're going to see this over and over in the book of hebrews and over and over in this chapter when he says in verse five for unto which of the angels said he at any time okay and when he says this he's going to say it over and over again in this passage he's referring to what god said through Old Testament writings, okay? So this is the author now quoting the Old Testament. This is why I say a study in Hebrews is a study at some level in the Old Testament, okay? Stay with me. Are you guys with me? Okay. For which of the angels said he at any time? Did he tell any angel what he's about to say, okay? Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Well, let me ask you, before you do any study, did God ever say to any angel, you're my son, today I've begotten you? 
What's the answer? No. See, Jesus is superior. He has a different name. Did he ever say, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son? Let's just talk about two passages as we get through this point. That first quote, for unto which of the angels did he say at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, that was the father's declaration in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. In Psalm 2, verse 7, it says this, I will declare the decree, the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. This is the point that the author makes about Jesus called, being called the son, being begotten of the father. He's the only son because he's the only one begotten of the father. Now, what does it mean to be begotten? What does it mean to be begotten? Probably the most famous verse in the Bible has that word, begotten, doesn't it? You know it, John three sixteen. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the only begotten son. There are times when we're called sons and daughters of God, those who know Christ. There are times where angels are called sons of God, but they're not begotten sons. See, I was begotten of Dennis Jennings, and Melanie Jennings, right? Now, God knew, knew me in the womb, the Bible says. He, you guys believe that? Not me specifically. Who believes that God knows about babies in the womb? God, God, God values life in the womb, their human life from the moment of conception. But I, I'm not begotten in the way that Jesus was begotten. Jesus has eternally existed as the second person of the Trinity. So how is he begotten? The, the Bible refers to him being begotten in two ways, okay? He is begotten through his incarnation at the virgin conception and birth, okay? Luke 1.35 says this, and the angel, this is the angel talking, interesting there's an angel in this verse, talking to Mary, she says, how am I going to have a baby? I've never known a man. Right? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called, what? The Son of God. He gets a new name. He gets a new name. This is, a, the, this is the better name to which the author refers. He's called the son. The angels are not called the son. He's the son. Why? The son, of Je the son of God, Jesus Christ, did not come to be at his conception and incarnation. He was given the title of son at his incarnation when he was begotten of the Father. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, why was that important? He was fully God and fully man. The second way he's declared to be begotten as the Son is in the resurrection. In Acts chapter 13, there's a little bit of digging you have to do to get here, but stay with me. It's really interesting. Here's a great way to study your Bible. When a New Testament author quotes an Old Testament author, it's good to find out if any other New Testament author quoted that same passage. And that's exactly what happens here. Paul, and this is part of the argument some people make to say that Paul's the, the author of Hebrews. I don't think that he is. We can have coffee and argue about it. It'll be fine. Okay. But Paul talks about this same verse. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Today I've begotten you. You'll be my son. Today I've begotten you. This is what he says. And uh, look how he refers to this verse in Acts chapter 13, okay? It says this in verse 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers 
because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Let me pause. This is Paul. He's at Antioch Pisidia, okay? A different Antioch than the one in Greece, one where he went. And he gets the chance to preach the gospel like Paul does all the time. And he's he's speaking to a Jewish audience when he's doing it right here. And he says, this is so cool, hey, I want to tell you what just recently happened. The news you haven't gotten yet is this. Those that dwell in Jerusalem, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, the Old Testament talks about this guy, Jesus, who we have met. They have fulfilled them, the voice of the prophets, in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, Jesus, yet desired they, yet desired they Pilate, these are the, the Jewish rulers, desired that Pilate should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, and by the way, this crucifixion that they wrote about him going through, that was, that was written about in Psalm chapter 22. In Isaiah chapter 53, do you get it? All the things the prophets said, they were instrumental in fulfilling. And when that had happened, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And when he was seen many days of them which came up from Galilee to Jerusalem, who's that? That's all his disciples, who were his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings. Good news. What's the good news? What's the good news? What's the good news? The gospel, right? How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. Here it is. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. What's the day? Resurrection Sunday. (laughs) And as concerning that he raised them up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on that wise, I will give you, now this is so cool, I will give you the sure mercies of who? David. Paul sees Psalm 2.5, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. The same way the author of Hebrews did. Jesus being declared a son and begotten of the Father was not only in his birth, but was also in his resurrection. Paul, you say, prove it, Pastor Ben. Oh, I just did in Acts. But let me prove it again in Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 says, concerning his son, you see it? Whose son? God's son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. What is that? That's it, Bethlehem. He's a seed of David. He's born in the town of David. He's of the line of David and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of wholeness. Why? By the resurrection from the dead. Do you see it? Because Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power through the incarnation, the conception and the virgin birth, because Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power through the resurrection from the dead for our sins, we know that Jesus Christ is superior in every way to angels. He has obtained the name of Son, a name that they were never given. He is the only begotten Son. He has a superior name. He is a son. They are, what are they? They're worshipers. Look at verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten in the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. This is a quote from Psalm 9-7. Let all the angels of God worship him. Deuteronomy 32-43 from the Septuagint which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The angels of God are mighty and wonderful. They're above men, but they are not worshiped by God and should not be worshiped by men. They worship God. He doesn't worship them. In fact, when Christ was born into the world, what happened? 
angel showed up. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. When he was resurrected from the dead, the angels were there to announce his resurrection. It says in verse 7, And of the angels he saith, He who maketh his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. They worship him because he has a superior name. He is the son. They are worshipers. That leads us very quickly to our second and possibly the last point for the day. And it's closely aligned to this first point. He has a superior name. He's the son. They're worshipers. Number two, he has a superior position. He is the king. They are what? Servants. They're servants. Look back at verse 5. He says, For under which of the angels say he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to my son, me to be a son. In verse 5, we've already mentioned the first quotation. This quotation that says, I'm to, to be, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. But there's another quote in that verse. He says, and again, you see in verse 5? And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is another quote from the Old Testament. I want you to get this. This is so cool. This is so cool. At least I, I think it's cool. I hope you think it's cool. All right. He's quoting Psalm, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. Let's read the full context starting in verse 12. This is Nathan speaking by God to David. Okay, Nathan was a prophet. David was the king, right? And this is what God says through Nathan to David. Verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long? Forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. There's the quote. If he commit iniquity, I will chase him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established, how long? Forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. God only has to say it once, but he doesn't just say it once. How long will David's kingdom be established? forever. This is part of the Davidic covenant. God tells David that his house and his throne shall be established forever. It's established forever. The prophecy had an immediate fulfillment in Solomon in the national sense. God had told David, you're not going to set up a temple, but I'm going to let your son set up a temple. And that's exactly what happened. In a larger and more incredible sense, it refers to David's greater son of another nature. Who was it? Jesus. Because in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But unto the Son he saith, here it is, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. O scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Almost every one of these verses that he's quoting Almost every one refer to, back to the Davidic covenant. See, Jesus Christ was born in the line of David. And what is his position? By being an heir, the heir of all things that we saw in verse 2. You guys got your Bibles open? Look back at verse 2. What does it say? Let me get there too. He becomes an heir, right? Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also created the world. By being an heir, and by having obtained through an inheritance a name that is greater than the angels, he's also been given a throne. And this throne is not just a theoretical throne. The Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, will rule and reign on the throne of David forever. Just as God promised. 
Now, do you guys believe that? Who thinks he'll do a better job than what we currently got? That's not hard, right? <laughs> right? I don't care what letter you got next to your name. Jesus is going to do way better. Way better. He will be a benevolent dictator. He will have our... If he died for me, I think he has a right to lead. I think I can trust him. <laughs> Look at what it says in verse 9. Hey, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Verse uh, 8 and 9, there are a quote from Psalm 45, 6 and 7, where it says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. There, there was a near fulfillment in this psalm referring to Solomon sitting on the, David's, the throne of David. But we find that this quote through progressive revelation gives us insight in Hebrews 1, 8, and 9. It refers to one greater than Solomon. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ as the son and heir? He is the king that will sit on the throne to rule and to reign. Who then are the angels? Well, verse 7 tells us. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Here's the, here's the point. Point number one, he is the son they're worshipers. Here's point number two. He's the king. They are his servants. He is the king. They are his servants. Isn't this exactly what's predicted in Revelation? I know it's on the screen, but can everybody grab your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 5? I'm going to say in conclusion, and you can believe me. In conclusion, check out Romans, sorry, Revelation chapter number five. Now, before I read this, I want you to know there were dozens of predictions written hundreds of years before Jesus' first coming that all came true. There are dozens of of predictions about his second coming. And if his first coming came true, you better believe that the second set of predictions are going to come true. Okay? This, in Revelation chapter 5, we are taken up into heaven. And there's a lot of mystery to this, but there's some that's really clear. Okay? Revelation chapter 5, start in verse 1. What's the point? He is the king. They are their, ser their servants. Their servants. Okay. And I saw on the right hand of him that was sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong, what is it? Angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, nor under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look up thereon. And I wept much. This is John writing. I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David, who is that? Hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it, has been, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four elders and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. 
saying, Thou art worthy, Jesus. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many, what is it? Angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, listen, if you don't like loud music, you're not going to like heaven. It's going to be loud. What's their new song? Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are on the sea. And all that are in them heard I, say, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, what they say? Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Isn't that good? I said all of that to say this. If we are a little lower than the angels, if they're superior to us, and yet Jesus Christ has been given a, great na a greater name than they, he's the son, they are worshipers, then shouldn't we tremble in the presence of God to worship him and honor him with our hearts and our lips and our lives? If he's the son, and they're worshipers, and they're a little bit above us, but he's far superior to them and to us, shouldn't we offer him the best worship we possibly can? And worship isn't just what we do when we sing. And it's not just what we do when we gather here. Worship happens with our entire lives. Who's worthy? He is worthy. Who's unworthy? Point to who's unworthy. It's called grace. There's no one here that's better than anybody else in that sense. It's all level at the foot of the cross. Why is he worthy? Because he's the one who was slain. He has a better name. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the only one that's resurrected out of his own power. And he said this, because I live, you can live also. If he can resurrect himself out of the grave, he can resurrect you out of the grave. If he's the eternally existent one who sits on a throne as a king and will come back one day to conquer and to sit forever on that throne of David to rule and to reign forever and the angels are his servants, shouldn't we serve him too? Teaching a Sunday school class, helping out at the doors, being kind to a neighbor, Speaking up with the gospel when it's more convenient to be silent. Who's worthy? He's worthy of our service. He's worthy of our worship. Jesus is greater. Shouldn't we worship? Shouldn't we worship rightly? When we gather together, the music isn't for you. Not really. Who's it for? It's for him. We're not worshiping ourselves. It's not about what we want. It's about him. When we serve each other, here's what's so cool. God says, hey, serve me. Okay, Jesus, how do I serve you? Love other people. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need anything from us. We need a lot from him. He says, when you give a cold cup of water in my name, you've done it. T to someone who needs it, you've done it unto me. 
He is worthy. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Every kingdom and tongue and people and nation. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. He didn't just die for the Jews. He didn't just die for the pretty people. He didn't die for the people who were pretty moral. Just them. There's no one that's really that moral. We're all messed up. We're all messed up. We just have, we have different flavors of sins. Your sin flavor may not be my sin flavor. But Jesus died for me and he died for you. We ought to worship, we ought to serve, if for no other reason than this, Jesus did not die for any angels. But he came and died for you and for me. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10. Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. That word ashamed doesn't mean you won't be embarrassed by the fact that you believe in him. It means that if you put your trust in him, you put your full weight on him, he's never going to let you down. If he says you can be saved, put your call in the name of the Lord and you'll be saved, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth. If you do that, if you put your faith in him, he won't let you down. He who comes to me, he says, I will in no wise cast out. For whosoever, for whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's way better than the angels. And when we acknowledge that he is who he said he was and that he can take away our sin, that he was slain for our sins, we can know heaven as our home. And then as he makes us his kid, then he, he empowers us to live, a life that, to live a life that honors him and to worship him and to serve him. A life that gives him glory and honor because of what he's done for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Let me ask you a question. If you were to die today, 